So you see some women who do the career thing and then are feeling really like their career lacks meaning and it's not connected to them, but they can't throw it out because again, it's their mortgage, it's the vacation fund, it's yeah. the kids' college fund. And then you see other women. You're talking to me. <laughs> I go. worked corporate at Chevron for 22 years. So right? knew exactly how much was coming in and what's coming out and what that annual bonus is and have one. Exactly. Didn't know about venture capital, didn't know about angel investing. I'm doing all the things because you're separating your career it. and your financial now. Yes. And they were the same, so you couldn't throw one out without like causing chaos in your life and the other. Hi, Money Movers. Welcome to another episode of Her Money Moves. And today we are recording from Harvard Innovation Lab and in Boston, Massachusetts. And I'm excited to introduce our next guest, Tammy Kesselman. She's the founder and CEO of Next Gen Success. And she's also an executive coach. She has lectured at every single Ivy League you can name, including where we are today at Harvard. She is a public speaker and a board member and an advisor. So she's an expert on impact investing. So this is going to be a very interesting episode. So thank you for being here today and driving all the way from Connecticut. Right? You're amazing. Between you and Harvard, like two of my best things to do is speak on this podcast, which is so important to educate women to have our own voice because we're really smart and have the same amount of background and intelligence to diligence things, but often we let ourselves get overrun. So huge fan and always a fan. I'm a mentor and coach at the iLab anyway, so I couldn't say no. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And you're also an alumni. um... I'm an alum of the Kennedy School and did my field study actually at HBS in the Social Enterprise Initiative. So this is very apropos. This wasn't here yet. I wish it were. I would have lived here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's an amazing space and they really do so much to incubate startups and founders and entrepreneurship that impacts the entire globe. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Like I've I've judged and mentored teams for almost a decade, I think now. And just the the vast diversity where people come from every country in the world here. So the vast amount of different things that they're solving, because it's from all the schools. It's not just HBS. There's undergrads, there's Divinity, there's Kennedy, there's all these different students who come here with different things they want to solve. So it's a really cool mix of how to get seed new ideas into the world. And and the blessing they have is that they're such a great alumni network. So they have access in different ways. But it also, I always explain to them, the curse they have is there's a way higher bar when they show up in front of, of those alumni to get it right. So it's mm. really about working hard on on getting their pitch to a way that it can go out and go viral and change things in the world. It's fun. I'm in Houston. We have emerging ecosystem there. And so those are great insights to share. I think we need need to bring you to Houston and you could give them a little bit of some good knowledge on how to prepare. I'm in. I spent a few years in Dallas, so Houston's (laughs) not so far away. Okay. Well, can you share just how your journey going through Harvard and how you got to where you are today. On the impact track, there's kind of two things. Because I have the executive coaching, but we can talk about that after. And that actually started earlier in a way because you tell me your business plan and I immediately see all the blind spots that you have. And so a lot of how I got to where I am is as people were coming to me for advice, I was like, well, wait a minute. I see you asking this, but what about that and that? And they'd be like, whoa, we need to talk more. And it just became something that, and granted, and also I went to Michigan undergrad. I did internships with the UN in Brazil, with Procter & Gamble in Italy, with a large Italian conglomerate uh, in Northern Italy. 
and traveled a lot and then came back and went to grad school at the Kennedy School where I did my coursework across Kennedy law and business. So policy law and business and then Bain. So I have all of that. So aside from having this mindset, then I went and got all this exposure to all these different perspectives. And the two together just enabled me to be, well, in Bain, certainly like going and being with Fortune 20 CEOs and saying, I hear what you're saying, but what about that? And gaining the confidence to know that my voice counted as much as a CEO who like grew up on the engine line in his plant and is turning to me for advice in the middle of this like big boardroom table. Ultimately, it was actually during COVID. So, and we can go back and talk about the impact investing and impact due diligence and the work that I've been doing over the last two decades. But then COVID happened and I saw Kate Spade and Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos, who each got their dream, got their hundred million or more exit and lost their way. And then I realized that I've spent so much time working in the family office space and working especially with intergenerational families. And even with men who are feel like they have to be the breadwinner and they have to make the money. We see this with both women and men, right? Who are in jobs that they feel like lack meaning, but they can't quit because then they couldn't pay their mortgage and get more and more separated from feeling fulfillment and happiness and purpose. And so I realized that I needed to go back and reintegrate that because I call it the Tony Robbins 10%. So at any Tony Robbins conference, you have 20% of the people-ish who are in pure crisis. You know it, they know it, this is their last hope, their life is a crisis. There's 70% that are you and me and most of the listeners who like, our life is working. There's stuff we want to work on. We go there, we know why we're there, but like our life's working. But then there's this 10% at the top that have the dream life, the dream job, the dream family, the dream everything, and they're not happy. And it scares the hell out of them because like, what do you do? What do you change? And so those are the people that I work with because they have every right to be as happy as everyone else. And it taps back into what I was around when I was younger and have had the privilege of being around a lot since. And then also the, the sadness of seeing some of the devastation when that goes awry, even when there are cries for help. So, so I do that also, that executive coaching, where it's about still on the same as with investors, lining wealth creation and impact stewardship across asset classes, but then also one-on-one about finding fulfillingness and happiness personally, and then crafting enduring legacy in whatever they're most passionate about to really put a dent in the universe and something that they love. Separate from also just being happy without that. That's my kind of where I've evolved to personally these days and professionally. Can you share some transformational things that have happened with some of your clients and why this framework works? Yeah, well, I can share. So one of the signature talks that I do these days that getting asked to do a lot for some like private wealth masterminds and at some of the bigger family office conferences, I call the three secrets of happy billionaires. And actually, I've I've updated it to the four secrets of happy billionaires. So the four secrets are first is and this being an, an investment podcast, this one, specifically when people look at investments, when you're diligencing investments, if you were talking to a team, you're going to be an angel or VC and you talk to a team, you're like, so tell me a little bit about like where you see this playing out in the world in five or 10 years, this thing. And they're like, no, no, I don't even know if I'll be around in 12 months. Like just, I just need to get to 12 months. And if you said, well, but like, what are you thinking? Like, what's your growth pattern for the next five years? They're like, no, no, I just need 12 months. Like, I just need to like, just give me enough money to get 12 months and we can talk. You would never invest in that 
entrepreneur ever, but we treat our lives that way with New Year's resolutions. That's true. That is so true. Like what's more important, your business or your life? And we're like, you know, for the next 12 months, I'm going to do this career-wise. I'm going to do this weight-wise. I'm going to do this health-wise. I'm going to do this. And we sign up for the gym. Right. (laughs) Exactly. And so even if we kept that, which of course, a lot of us fall off after a couple months, but more importantly, you're making decisions, life decisions, fulfillment and happiness decisions based on like, if you lost a client and you know you need to pay your rent, so you like take on a new job that's totally the opposite direction of happiness. And we make these decisions in the moment instead of getting really clear on that true north future, the way we'd want a business to see where they want to be headed before they pull back to, okay, where do I need to be in five years? And what does that mean I need to do for the next year? So the first thing I do is I help people look at when you're 80, looking back at your life so far from the perspective of like Betty White, who is still working well into her 90s. And we know for us, health-wise, science-wise, we have a good expectation of living well into our early hundreds, right? Certainly to 100 with other family and friends around. So when you're 80, well into retirement, but another decade ahead of you, if you start with this feeling of overwhelming gratitude of if I had been given the opportunity in the beginning to have everything I wanted to have and do and be and achieve— I never could have come up with a life as incredible as the life I was granted. And just start from that overwhelming sense of gratitude. So you don't have to see it clearly. You just start there and it will tap into your subconscious and you'll get really clear. And then I walk people through a visualization across their personal and professional, like mind and body and friends and family and career and financial and impact or legacy. So that's the first thing is the time frame. And I tell people, if you think about your junior year in high school, and you have kids, not, not yet, not, not that old yet, but junior year in high school, if you think back to yourself, if you were never sick other than the one week of midterms, midterms junior year in high school decides your grade, your junior year, and your junior year grades are what you use for college apps because senior year you don't have your grades yet. So your junior year in high school, that's like this grade determines where I can get into high college, determines my friends, determines my career, determines my future. But if we look back now as adults, If that was the only week you missed, do you think your life would be any different than it is today? Right? Right. So we all forget that we all act like every day is that junior year midterm week instead of being really clear on where we want to go and knowing that like the rest will adjust if we're clear on the future. The second thing, and then we can talk about other stuff and I can get into the, the last two if you want. But the other most important thing is separating career and financial. And this is the biggest mistake that I see professionals make is merging the two. And if you merge the two and one is broken, you can't fix it with throwing out the other. So what do I mean by that? So we're here at Harvard. Again, I had classes at the Kennedy School and classes at the business school. One of my friends from the Kennedy School wanted to be a senator. So his career senator and his financial was Wall Street, was trading on Wall Street. And so he went there and it's very clear that's his financial, his treasure chest and his network. And then I had friends from HBS who like they are traders like that is like they eat, breathe, sleep it. It's their career. It's their passion. They love it. But for them, if that's their career, same job, same company, actually, same firm, then they need something else that's their financial, whether it's day trading or investing in their family business or biotech or AI, whatever it is, right? The thing. And then what happened in 2008? I've been around a while. So we'll go. 2008, 2008 happens. The one who is his financial, he needs to go find a new financial plan because his career is to be senator. And so he knows that he needs to throw that out and get a new one and his career doesn't change. The ones who it's their career, they're loving that Wall Street, that everybody's falling out, everyone's getting laid off. They can gut it out because they have a different financial plan and padding. 
So while everyone else is falling out on the street, when the market comes back in 29 and 2010, their career just shot up because they're still there and they could gut it out. And you say like Michael Jordan versus other athletes, right? He knew his career was basketball and for a while it was baseball. And then he decided it was basketball again because he had a financial plan where other athletes oh, think yeah, their career is their financial yeah. plan. Magic Johnson. I just Shaq. recently, yep, Shaq. He's now Papa John's. I mean, he's all over the place. Because yeah. they were three of very, very few. Madonna is another great example. Serena Williams, who are able to, when their star is rising, turn that into a financial plan. So some years your career might make more than your financial plan, but the difference is you're investing it in growing a financial plan so that ultimately, if one of those two is broken, you can fix it without throwing out the other. And you see, we're talking to women. So you see some women who do the career thing and then are feeling really like their career lacks meaning and it's not connected to them, but they can't throw it out because again, it's their mortgage, it's the vacation fund, it's the kid's college fund. And then you see other women. You're talking to me. (laughs) I worked corporate at Chevron for 22 years. So I knew exactly how much was coming in and what's coming out and what that annual bonuses and have one. Exactly. Didn't know about venture capital, didn't know about angel investing. I'm doing all the things because you're separating your career it. and your financial now. Yes. And they were the same. So you couldn't throw one out without like causing chaos in your life and the other. And then you have women on the other side who go the philanthropic path. And let's say they get, either they're single or they get divorced or their husband's not making any more than they are. They go to the reunion. They get really frustrated because like they're doing God's work. They're doing like life's work that matters to people, but they can't afford the same house or the same vacation. They can't do things their other friends are, but they made the same mistake. They just put their financial in the career bucket where other people put their career in the financial bucket. So either way, you need to know what they each are and they always have to be separate. So that's one of the big things yeah. that I and talk about. And that's something that we're not taught. No, no one's taught it. What kind of advice can you share with us that are yeah. trying to build wealth? Totally. <laughs> well, some of it, luckily, today, more than 10 years ago and so much more than 20 years ago, there's just information at your fingertips. I don't know. My, oh my God, my phone's not here. <laughs> my phone's like this, this. We have more information in our phones than there were in the computers that sent the first shuttle up to space. Like that's crazy. And so just with things like your podcast, with YouTube, with there's all different ways to learn local chambers of commerce and just going and getting engaged and going and attending different. But the most important thing is thinking independently because on the internet, anyone will sell you any idea. And, and it's about listening to enough diverse opinions. It's something that I make sure I do. I have both Fox and CNN, and you can do with Fox and MSNBC. It doesn't matter. But you need, to, and then AP and uh, BBC. I make sure I spend an equal amount of time reading. I cannot watch. Like, don't go down like the whatever of, of watching and getting the on TV. All the anchors of any show are very into making it high drama, and so instead, but read and know what's going on from millions of other people's perspectives, not just your own. And from that, I find opportunity. There's very few things that they overlap on disturbingly. And like, if you read the first five or first 10 headlines, they're often on completely different things, but things will pop up that show up, whether it's on climate or on mental health or on AI and data for good. And you'll start to see that the more that you just are intellectually curious And then go down a rabbit hole if you read something and then look up that person and then see where they're actively engaged. And a lot of them, if they're not Elon Musk or Bill Gates, they don't get a ton of people reaching out to them through LinkedIn. Go reach out and be like, you know, I saw this thing on you. I would love to learn more. When are you speaking? Or can you send me some information? And there's so much that you can get just by 
taking initiative that costs nothing. You don't need to go to some fancy school for any of it. There's also, I will say, there's some great resources that are free that you can learn from resources that the wealthiest families use in impact investing. And it's, and I can give you for like the podcast notes after, but the impact so it's the impact.org. Some of them I'll get wrong on the.org or .com, but the impact has a library on their website that's free. Tonic, which is T-O-N-I-I-C, also has a resource center that's free. There's all these places, and each of those are membership organizations of some of the largest, wealthiest families in the world who have come together to share learnings on their impact portfolios and have taken impact pledges to move more of their capital into impact alignment, but then sharing with each other just internally. So you won't get that. You won't find out to the level of who's sharing what. They share that obviously off the record, but they have these learning centers where you can learn the exact same things that they teach all of their members to onboard, which is pretty cool. Wow. Okay. Well, we will definitely share those resources. Yeah. So I have a list. <laughs> awesome. Especially they're free. That's great. They are free. So <laughs> we like free. <laughs> you can you can literally get the same insights and learnings as some of the most successful families in the world on how to align wealth creation and impact stewardship. Thank you. I mean, it really helps you think in another way. And I can see why you are in demand, you know, to... I have opinions. <laughs> I try and make them How, constructive. So I also think impact investing has a bad rep. It People does. don't think like, no, this is still going to make money. It's going to make a profit yep. or, it, or at least it should, right? It should. hundred percent. I get really <sighs> mad at anyone who clearly who looks at it concessionary. To me, if you're, if you're doing concessionary, you're doing it wrong, which is to say, just like any other money you spend, you spend it in different buckets. So you have some money that's philanthropic. So there's philanthropic money, there's first loss capital. So like a lot of families, one great thing about family offices and some foundations is they'll do money that they're investing, but that they're willing to go as first loss if the venture doesn't work out. Because obviously if you're doing venture capital or angel, there's high risk. Even if you're looking at it for your big return alpha, you know that like if you're lucky if two out of 10 in your portfolio make it. So this is no different, but you can blend capital in different parts of the capital stack. So one other thing that I love, one other part of my life is I'm a partner at Lojas and I partnered with them as much as I'm busy in a lot of other ways. I've been a partner for four or five years because what we do is work with, hopefully everyone in your audience knows about donor advised funds. So you have anyone who's writing checks for $10,000 or more has a tax accountant who has a tax strategy that includes philanthropy for tax reasons. So if you're going to do philanthropy and you're going to often put that in a, sometimes put it in a donor advised fund, Fidelity, Schwab, the New York Community Foundation, or any community foundation, those right. are all donor advised funds, church donor advised funds, all of that. Well, it turns out that your DAF, donor advised fund is a DAF, that your DAF, you can invest it in equity, in anything. And people don't know that because Fidelity and Schwab don't let you because it is in their interest that you put it there and park it. It's a P&L for them. They make money on interest that they don't pay you interest on that DAF. They want you to just leave it there. But if you, so with Lojas, we actually work with, our clients are mostly founders of funds. So they have funds or fund of funds. And when they go out to their investors, they say, you know, if you're going to invest in this and you have a tax strategy that includes a DAF, did you know that you can also invest your DAF in this? So it de-risks the investment. And if you want to be more advanced as you're structuring a fund, you can structure preferred shares and common shares. So your investor can come in, let's say, with $100,000 investment. And then if they have a donor advised fund, they can do $10,000 from their DAF directed into it in common shares, and they genuinely do risk the investment. 
So there's all different ways to play with impact. So that investment itself is, you're, if you're assuming you're investing, like a lot of our clients are investing in minority and women entrepreneurs. The vast majority of our clients, I'd say, are. And then some are climate and some are mental health. So you have your investment in it, but then you can also take this philanthropic capital that's just sitting there doing nothing or investing in perpetuating problems and then instead invest it in the same company. And then the difference is because you already got your tax write-off when that, let's say that company has a 10x exit, it's a unicorn, you got really lucky. That money that was the DAF money goes back into the DAF. So it doesn't go back to you as a person because you already got that. It's like Chinese firewall. But then that means that your DAF has that money to go reinvest in something else. So it's really exciting. And and not enough people are aware of different strategies they can do that just multiply their impact while at the same time being really strong fiduciaries. Yes. Well, thank you for educating our audience on that, you know, that there are so many options out here and we can make investments, make a return and do good at the same time. And yeah, and, and definitely with your philanthropic strategy, think about that. Make sure that wherever, if you have a donor advised fund, and if you're doing philanthropy, you can easily just set up a donor advised fund somewhere. Make sure they let you invest that so you can go turn around and invest that in some minority or women-led startup in your community and give them the capital they need and make sure, again, that you're vetting it, that you believe in it, that they are doing their diligence and they're putting together the right team, but then give them that capital that I call it all of us that are the left behind. Like you have Silicon Valley that invests in 3% of that basically in white men in four states. And everyone else is left behind, whether it's in Appalachia and very white, but fourth generation welfare or minorities or women. And so take that capital that you have and invest in these plans that are just as good or better. Because often they have to be better to even bubble up at all, right? because they're not on the traditional radars. So there's so much opportunity out there that's really exciting. I always, before we close, love to ask you, what are you dreaming bigger about next? Like what, what's next for you? I have a couple things, but one thing that I'm excited to start next year is I've already been in talks with a, a variety of people, but one of my pet peeves, a lot of my stuff starts from pet peeves. I don't know if you've noticed the trend. <laughs> one of my pet peeves is That's going, a good place to start. Right? I can't Because if it's this. mine, then it's probably other people's too, which is like a good market <laughs> signaling. Crazy. So what drives me crazy these days is going to Costco to buy Claritin. And think about it. If you go there, there's this like cardboard thing with slats in it. And then each individual Claritin bottle has that big, thick plastic that you need scissors to cut and it cuts you. And then it's got cardboard inside it that says 70 tablets of Claritin. And it's got a bottle in it. And then it's got 70 tablets. It could be a little blister pack like that. All the rest is waste. And that drives me crazy. So I'm actually launching a Rethink Packaging Initiative. And the XPRIZE is talking to us about launching a prize around it, about innovations in packaging. And we're looking at doing a task force. And to pre-announce it, one of the things I'm most excited about with it is we are on Earth Day, which is April 22nd, launching a one-week Leave the Packaging Behind media campaign. So to get consumers everywhere to leave the packaging at the register everywhere they shop for a week. Wow. So we just see the like mountains. That's a great idea. Of waste. So as a media event, so that then Earth Day lives on for another week of a great media visual. And then with it, I'm starting to amass a Gen Z army and we're going to be doing a TikTok video challenge of unboxing. So you know what unboxing, right? There's all these unboxing videos, but think about it. Unboxing glorifies wasted packaging. So we're going to have Unbox the Lie as a video challenge mm-hmm. for a bunch of Gen Z's that have already come on board that are excited to do it. And then with the hashtag size matters, because <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so, so that's what I'm excited about. And like, if you have like a one ounce 
product in, you know, you have a PNG and a Unilever box. Well, Tammy, thank you so much for being with us. Oh my um, gosh, thank you, Stacey. I can definitely, we're going to definitely okay. work together in the future. Look forward to... Um, I need to get you one of these. I don't know where yes, it came from. Yes. I just, and, it was And I have to give fun. you the Her Money Moves I coffee know. tumbler too. I owe, I owe that to you. So thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. I learned a lot about impact investing and family offices, intergenerational wealth, the transfer, all the things that, you know, we need to be thinking about. So thank you. Yeah. And I will say, you can decide if I want to edit this in somewhere else. One thing on the family office stuff, and your audience has all different sizes, amounts of wealth. One of my favorite mentors in the family office space is Pierre DuPont who is one of the sweetest, most lovely human beings at a lot of the same conferences. But he always talks about as far as family and understanding your family's legacy, like so many other things, the best time to start, well, with that might be 100 years ago. But the next best time is today. And you don't know who from your family is doing what. Start to have those family meetings about where your immigrant parents or grandparents came from. My, my mother is first generation American. And pulling together siblings and cousins and having those common threads of story and a lot of even investing can start at the community of family level. And so to start building family story, you don't need to be a billionaire to do that. You need to do that with the family that you have and taking pride and being honest about what challenges there were and then pride in overcoming it and give that resilient story to your family no matter where you are right now. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That is so true. We all have very, you got to remember where you came from and where you are now and reflect on that and really help share those stories with the next generation as well. And pull the threads that are resilience or entrepreneurship or whatever threads can really help to empower the next generation to, to see the legacy that they're given that will help enhance how they show up and help them win at whatever they're facing in the world. That's powerful. If you see... Hey, my, I come from this bloodline, yeah. <laughs> all that they overcame and what they did, then you believe I have it in me. Exactly. And I mean, and we're here, we're in the States. There's, there's so much blessings that we, I mean, that's the other thing. Like I try and tell kids all the time who whine and complain if they don't come from a family with like many commas and zeros in their bank account. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm going to like put you at the local homeless shelter or like, let's go travel around Africa or Southeast Asia. Like yes. you need to understand what you have. More people need to travel and just 100%. see like <laughs> how bad it is in other places. And there is no like, yeah, a lot of families don't have what some of my clients, I don't have what some of my clients have, but we each, anyone who's listening to this, if you're here listening to this, you have everything you need to massively succeed in the world, no matter how you're feeling today. There's things that you can do and small adjustments you can make to manifest whatever you want over the next 10 to 20 years. Maybe not in the next 12 months, but use this next 12 months to just bounce. Yes. And I call it dream big, dream bigger. Exactly. I love that. <laughs> yes. Let's do that. Yes. Let's dream bigger. Thank you so much, Tammy, again. Thank you. And um, look forward to seeing you again soon. More good stuff. All right. Bye.